Well, good evening. Thanks for taking time to be here. I hope that you got outside today. Did you get outside? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> today was the day to be out. Beautiful out. I have my first mosquito bite of the season, uh, which is the beginning, of course, of summer in Alaska when you get that. Uh, I've told the joke before, but you, you, know, you know the story. In Genesis, God created everything in six days. And after everything he created, he said, this is good. But when he made Alaska, he said, this is so good, I'm going to put it in the freezer and save it for later. <laughs> and, and later is summer, <laughs> you know, here in Alaska. Our passage tonight uh, is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to give you a moment to find that, because I want you to know where this passage is located in your Bible. 2 Corinthians is one of the letters of your New Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, turn over to that New Testament. Uh, there should be some Bibles in the, in the seats or around you or share with a person near. But look there into the New Testament. The New Testament is going to be that second or really the last third, let's say, of your Bible. You'll start there with Matthew, go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then right after John will be this historical book of Acts. And then after that, the rest of your New Testament is made up of these letters. And the very next letter after Acts is going to be Romans. And then after Romans will come 1 Corinthians. You're looking for the second one. So Corinthians, and sometimes it's called 2 Corinthians, because in your Bible it will have a 2 in front of it. This is a letter that was written by Paul and Timothy, if you look at the first, to the church that was in Corinth, which is still there in the southern part of Greece. You can still visit. In fact, they've excavated much of the city where this church first worshipped together. And Paul had spent several uh, visits, actually, in some time in Corinth, and he was going back. He wasn't there at the time. He was away, and he was writing a letter to them to be carried by a, a man named Titus. And the letter basically was written to say, when I show up, have your collection ready because we're going to send a huge donation back to the very first Christians back in Jerusalem who right now are suffering from a famine. They are hungry. They are poor. They need our help. And because we have inherited from them uh, this incredible message of good news, we're going to help them. And so Paul's going to send them this letter. But as with most of the letters that you read in the New Testament, there's not only the instructions about what to expect, there's always this deep teaching about why we do what we do. You know, it's, it's, it's important to know who you are. It's important to know what you do. Uh, but it's even more important to know why. Why is it that we're collecting this collection for these people? Well, the reason I give you the background to this letter is because, as with any letter, when I tell you we're, we're going to read a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, I've immediately caused a problem. And that problem is that chapter 5, verse 6, comes after chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through 5. And chapter 5 comes after chapter 4. And chapter 4 comes after chapter 3, and so on, all the way back to the first of the letter. In other words, this is a full letter. And it is intended for a church just like this to open and have someone like Titus say, I have a letter for you, and to read it from the start all the way to the finish. When I was in junior high, this is the very first letter that I ever read start to finish in the Bible. And it totally changed my perspective 
of how to read scripture. Because I started to catch a verse here and a verse there of things that I had heard, but it was suddenly in context. Just like if you receive a letter of this magnitude, you would never turn over to the fifth page and only read one paragraph halfway down. You would never do that. You would read the whole letter start to finish. You would probably reread it start to finish. And only later would you go back to those real endearing parts of the letter. But even when you went back to read that special line or that special section, it would always be in this larger context. You would always have in mind why the whole message was written. And so Paul is writing this letter to Corinth to say, let's get ready to give this gift. And he teaches us why. And he starts out the letter saying, it's because God is comforting you. God is strengthening you so that in turn, you can use that strength you got from God to help others. And that theme is carried out through the book. And Paul addresses other issues there specific to the church. But that's the main, that's the main thing that he addresses. And several times throughout the book, he reminds people that, that the things that we have and the things that you can see on the outside, these are, Paul uses a metaphor, this is just a tent. In other words, this body that you have and all the stuff of life, you know, that makes up who you are, the things that other people see and may judge your value on, that it is not your inside. The outside, he said, it's just, your, it's just a tent. And so you are all tents, he says, but you are meant to be temples. And God is changing you from a person who is just this tent this, in this temporary body, but he's turning you into a temple. Not that you would take this tent off and be naked, he says, just before our passage tonight. That would be ridiculous. He says, you are meant to put on something, and specifically what you put on over this tent is life. And he says, oh, to be here at home in this tent is to be away from the Lord. I desire, I desire to be away from this tent and be with him, to be enwrapped in life. He says, but whether or not I'm here in this tent or with him, I will make it our goal, or it is our goal, to please him. And that's what brings us to our passage here. Can we read it together? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. And Paul says, first to the Corinthians and by extension to us, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God has given you life. And I'll pause here to point out what Paul's bringing back to mind, if you've read the whole story, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, is a time when things didn't go so well. When human beings did not use or do in this body what was right. And so after God had created the heavens and the earth, by the time you get to page three of the scroll, is it pages in a scroll? By the time you get to chapter three, rolling across from Genesis, You have the man and the woman, the first human beings, there in this garden. And there they reach for this fruit that was called uh, fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there, by reaching for that fruit, they said, it is desirable to define good and evil for ourselves. 
and, and by ourselves. And they, they turned away from God for just that moment. And in that instant, something was lost. And what was lost, when you read the text closely, what was lost initially is a relationship. Those first human beings had this relationship with God and with each other. And as soon as they took that fruit, instantly that relationship was severed. And the first relationship that was severed was the relationship between the man and the woman. Do you remember the first thing they do? Even before God shows up in the garden, the very first thing they do is sow fig leaves to cover themselves. Literally to cover the shame. Uh, That's the first time you see that. And it's only after that that God then shows up. And as God moves through the garden, we're told that it was his breath or the breath of the evening when the sound of God is moving through the garden. And do you remember what the human beings did? They hid. And God says, where are you? And Adam says back to him, we heard you moving through the garden and we hid because we were afraid. It's the first time in the Bible you see that word afraid or the fear of the Lord. We were afraid because we were naked. God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that fruit? And then you see what plays out. And what plays out there is, is, is the, uh, the giving of what is due for what was done at that time by those human beings. And that's what comes to mind when Paul says... What we do in the body one day will be something we have to account for. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due in our body. But look at the next verse. Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. And what comes to mind there is that very fear that the first human being had. You can imagine hiding in that bush or behind that tree or somewhere in the garden that weight of the fear of the Lord. And Paul says, we feel that wait. And because of that fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. In other words, Paul's saying, let me give you some language to use when you're talking to, to those who care more about the outside and appearances than the heart. For we, if we are beside ourselves, or in other words, if we're out of our mind, it's for God. But if we are in our right mind, it's for you. And then listen to the powerful next series of passages. And I want you to look for four things. The real point of tonight that we're getting to is that this church is intended, just like the church in Corinth, is intended to be a reconciling church. A church that is inviting those to be reconciled to God. And watch for four things. First, what is the motivation to be a reconciling church? Second, what is our ministry? Third, what is the message? And then fourth, when is the moment? When is the time? And so Paul makes this beautiful statement, for the love of Christ, I'm in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we are we have concluded this that one has died for all and therefore all have died now some of your versions will say for christ's love compels us or christ's love uh, has captured us the word there for compelled control captured is the the word uh it would be the same as pulling together in your hand something so it doesn't fall apart that's the idea that it's christ's love that has 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 a hold of us the image of a, a, 
of a parent running behind a bicycle with a young child on it, holding the back of that bike and directing where it goes so that the child doesn't fall. I mean, it's that idea that it's Christ's love that is compelling us and holding us and, and turning us in the right direction. Now notice Paul says, it's not the fear of the Lord that compels us. It's the fear of the Lord that causes us to want to persuade others. But what really compels us, what really motivates us, is the love of Christ. Specifically, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him. What's our motivation? Our motivation is the love of Christ. From now on, verse 16, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, or we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Even though we once regarded Christ in this way, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, hold your breath. This is the edge of your seat moment. Stick out your neck. Look for what's coming. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Can you imagine being there on the day of the creation? The big bang. The the one moment when God says, let there be light and there's creation. And then zoom in on this one planet where God pulls together this clay and dirt and then his breath breathes into this human being the breath of life. Can you imagine what that's like to watch? And Paul says, you get to. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, here's the second point, the ministry of reconciliation. So what's our motivation? It's the love of Christ, that he died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him. What is our ministry? He then hands to us the ministry of of reconciliation. It's a big word. We don't use that a whole lot. And when we do use it, it's usually in the context of relationships. The actual word there is an economic word. It means exchange, a fair exchange. So every child in here, Martin, if I, if I said, hey, I've got a deal for you. Uh, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you two quarters. Would that be a good deal? No, instantly Martin says, that's not a good deal. Why? Because it's not a fair exchange. A fair exchange would be $1 and four quarters. That would be an equal, and and the word here is, that would be a reconciliation of the money. We have a group down in Honduras, you know, right now. They would have exchanged money there, uh, uh, U.S. dollars for Olympiras. I think the exchange rate right now is 1 to 24. It would be a total ripoff. Somebody would totally get away uh, with a good deal if they traded one U.S. dollar for one Limpira. That's not how an exchange works. It needs to be $100 is, you know, 2400 Limpira. The point there is a fair exchange is when, when the, the value is equal. So you can imagine what it's like if God says, I give you one life, 
What do you give back that's equal? Now, the word reconciliation went from being this term of exchange to dealing with relationships. So if relationships are broken, especially because one person did something that violated that relationship, and so in a marriage, if there's a separation or a divorce or a business relationship where two people are separated, to bring those two people back together and for the offending party to bring something that is due to the relationship is to reconcile that relationship. That's the word that's being used here. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, and by extension to us, you have been invited into this ministry of reconciliation. As if God is reconciling the world to himself. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So God says, I give you one life, and you come back and say, all I have is this life, but it's devalued by all of these mishaps, these misdeeds, these taking the wrong direction, and God no longer counts that against them. And, and so God is reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Third point, what is the message? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What's your motivation? The love of Christ. What is the ministry? It is a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling people with God. And what is the message? It couldn't be more simple. Be reconciled to God. Now, I know the message ends up having layers and layers of deep meaning, and there will be questions that need to be answered. But do you understand the entire message that God gives to the world is this. You matter to God. Be reconciled to him. That's the reason this body of people exists. Here in a city very much like Corinth, years ago, a a strategically placed city in the world, and you are here for this purpose. One, to be reconciled to God, and then two, to become those through whom God reconciles, he brings the world back. But unlike in a relationship where you have to bring something back to reconcile with the other person, God says, I'll take care of the difference. Be reconciled to God. That's the message. And then what is the moment? When is the time? He says this, In verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I like that word. We are ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now there's lots of debate on what that phrase means, but it basically, Paul is saying, God took Jesus and made him sin so that through him, you and I might become the righteousness of God. It has a double meaning. One, that we may be made right again. 
That's what it meant in the garden. When the relationship was separated, things were not right. For things to be made right again is called righteousness. It's the restoring of a relationship between people and God. And he says that's why Christ died, so that you could be a part of that. Now, the other meaning for the righteousness of God is to be a part of what God is doing to make things right again. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the ambassadors, the ones through whom God is making the world or inviting the world to be made right again. And that's why in the very next verse, though it switches to the next chapter, the very next verse it says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. We are a part of the greatest work in the world. So what is our moment? He says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. That's a quote from Isaiah 49. Here's a a bit of an exit ramp, very brief. But just to say, whenever you run across a passage in Scripture, when they quote something from another place in Scripture, like in this case he's quoting from Isaiah, uh, consider that a hyperlink. You're meant to click on that. And then go and see the context. When Paul quotes this to the original audience, they would say, oh yeah, we remember Isaiah 49. And they would have the whole thing memorized, you know. Uh, You take the time to go back. And what you find in Isaiah 49 is God saying, basically, it would be too small a thing for me to rescue just Jacob and put Israel back together. Let's do a big thing. Go big or go home, he says in Isaiah 49. God is going to go through Israel, and through Israel, he's going to bring salvation to all nations all over the world. That's what Paul is bringing to mind here by quoting this verse. And he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in the day of salvation I helped you. And then our closing verse, behold, now is the favorable time, behold, now is the day of salvation. So when's the moment? The moment is now. What is your motivation? The love of Christ. What is your ministry? It is a ministry of reconciliation. What's the message? It's a simple one. It's telling a neighbor. It's telling a family member. Be reconciled to God. It's telling someone you love and care about. Who comes to mind when you think of someone who needs to be reconciled to God? That's the the message. Be reconciled to him. And when's the moment? The moment is now. About 20, boy, some be 22 years ago now, 2001, we were on one of our mission trips to the country of Haiti. And uh, while we were there uh, working in one of the villages, a village of duty up in the mountains there in northern Haiti, one of our translators asked if I would go speak to his brother-in-law, this gentleman who was dying of HIV AIDS. And this was 20 years ago before we even had the medicines even in the U.S. to prolong Life and of course he had no access to those and he would die he would die soon and they asked if I would go and talk to him about salvation I said well of course and so we went uh, down the road and went into this mud hut with kind of a tin roof and there inside in the dark corner in the back floor was this very thin cachectic man about forty years old wasting away only skin and bones sunken eyes dying of probably tuberculosis or some other pneumonia that had taken over at the time. He couldn't speak at all, and he could only sort of mouth with his words. You had to get really close to his ear to hear him. But I took some time, and I told him about how God loves him. He matters to God. We talked about 
faith and what that means and how his faith is counted as if he had done everything just right. And so we gave this message. Be reconciled to God. Make things right with God. And do you know what he did? I said a prayer with him and I asked, do you have any questions? And the translator, his brother-in-law, leaned way down next to his ear and then he looked up at me and he said, he says he accepts. And I said, wow, what is... What does that mean? He says he wants to be baptized. And I thought, well, how are we going to do that? Well, they figured it out. And it was about an hour later, the community carrying this man on a blanket walked across a field. I wrote in my journal later, it looked like pallbearers at a funeral. And if you think about it, that's exactly what it was. They walked him down to a river, and there at the river, a preacher gave a long sermon, much longer than this one. <laughs> and then at the end, they baptized, Vatel was his name, they baptized Vatel in the water, and they lifted him back up, and then whisked him back up to his, to his home. We didn't see him that day. The next day, we went to visit Vatel, and do you know that he was given his voice? The day before, he could only whisper. And then he was given his voice, and as I knelt down, he smiled at me and said, thank you for coming to visit him. And then he said something very profound. He says, Yesterday I did not know, but today I know, even if it is 40 years from now, I will see you again in the kingdom of heaven, he said in Creole. I don't know what the significance of 40 years was. That still haunts me a little bit. (laughs) But the real point was what he said, I know I will see you in the kingdom of heaven. Suddenly a treasure found, a pearl of great price has been found. Heaven has found a fish <laughs> in the net. This is amazing. And for, for two more days, he had his voice. We received word, though, on the fourth day that he died. Uh, Vatel passed away. And so we came back down. We were at the mission compound where we were staying, and we, we said, and we were lamenting that we only got to know Vatel for such a short time. And one of the missionaries was there, a guy named Brian Wallace, had this deep South African accent. He came over and said, what's wrong? And we told him, Vatel has passed away. And Brian Wallace started laughing. I mean, like one of those belly laughs when you're tickled at 2 o'clock in the morning kind of laughs. And he was just laughing. And we looked at him like, have you, have you no empathy? I mean, what, why are you laughing? And he, he paused in the middle of this really boisterous laugh. He, he started patting us, and he says, no, I, re- I realize this will just sound so terrible to you. He goes, but it it always amazes me how some people show up for work at the last minute and they still get full pay. (laughs) (laughs) And he was laughing in pure joy. Well, that's our ministry. That's what God has given us the incredible, unspeakable privilege of being a part of. It's not our work. It's his work. But we get, as a congregation the unspeakable privilege, motivated by Christ's love to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation, giving this message, be reconciled to God, and for that to be today and to this week. There's two possible, I guess, ways to take that home. One is, if you're considering making things right with God, do it. (laughs) This is the day. You matter to God. Be reconciled to him. And then the other message, of course, that I hope you'll spend time with. I hope you'll go back and read through all of Corinthians and that that whole letter of 2 Corinthians and walk away with this profound, honoring thought 
that God has put you here in this place and time, first to find him, but second to be a part of his great work in the world, reconciling people to himself. Well, as we think about that, let's take time now as we stand and sing.